maybe I'm crazy, but it's not my job to raise your children. I am not the auntie. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. Welcome to Maybe I'm Crazy Podcast. I'm Joy Taylor. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Terrell Owens, the Hall of Famer, T.O., joins us this week to talk a little bit about the draft process, pro days, combine, how much all that matters. He also has a wine, 81 Vino, that he talks a lot about. I am a wino myself. So uh, I love hearing about how his wine is made. So you can check that out as well. Heller, Donnie, and T are with us. And we got to talk about this little Nas X situation because it's gotten out of control, out of control. But let's get started with T.O. All right. Very excited to have Terrell Owens, T.O., the Hall of Famer on the Maybe I'm Crazy podcast. Thanks for making time for us today. I like that uh, art behind you. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine uh, made that for me. I went to some event and uh, that was like the surprise little gift that they gave me. So that's dope. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk to you about your wine because I'm a big wino. Uh, I did not receive my my case of wine yet. You know, I hopped on the. Uh, yep, there you go. 81 vino. I got you. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I hopped on the IG live with you and Will. Um, so right. I'll talk to you about your wine as well. But we right. were just talking about before we started recording <laughs> the combine and pro days and stuff are going on right now, right. and everybody's going crazy over these pro days. Right. So. Uh, how did you do in the combine? Um, I did okay. I think in the, uh, I guess, cause I was strong. So, I mean, I didn't do bad, like in the bench, bench press. Um, but as far as any of the other drills, like what people are known for, like, I guess the wow factor is like the forties and the broad jumps and vertical. Um, I right. think I did average in, in some of those things, but my 40 time, it, it'll surprise you. I ran like a four, six, three. And you got linemen probably running faster than that. But uh, I, I will say that, like I said, I mean, I wasn't known for my speed. But as I played in the league, I progressively did some things uh, to kind of help enhance my speed. Um, probably after my third year is when I acquired a trainer. And so obviously the game is predicated on speed. So that's why everybody is so, so geeked up about the combine because all these 40 times are – they're, they're low four fours or what have you. You have some some very unassuming big guys that that are running low times. Like I said, I ran a four six three, and I'm sure there are some linemen over the years that have run faster than that. So, um, but I was one of those guys. Like I said, not known for my speed, but throughout the course of my career, uh, kind of got better. Um, my speed got faster, so um, I had game game time speed. But overall, I think I did okay. Um, my individual workouts is where I kind of improved upon uh, some of the things that I didn't do well in the combine with. And I say that because my senior year, um, I played basketball for three years. My last three years in, uh, at UT Chattanooga, I played basketball. And so a lot of people didn't know that. So I didn't honestly, like, as I was telling you before we got on, I didn't think I was going to play beyond the collegiate level. So obviously um, they had, you know, watched film and things of that nature and saw that I ha- may have a chance to play on Sundays. So I didn't really give a whole lot of effort as far as training and things of that nature. So my basketball coach, when the scouts came in and we had workout days for my school, you know, or individual workouts, he allowed me to kind of, you know, take some time away from practice or what have you to, to, to do 40s and shuttles and things of that nature. And so I did improve upon my 40 times from the from my my combine. Um, I went from a 463 and I think my fastest time um, that I ran. Um, for the scouts, I had to do it indoors because of the weather. 
I ran a 447. And so prior to that, I was on the grass and I didn't know how meticulous like these scouts are really into like the surface that you run on and all types of stuff. So outside I ran in between like 452 and 455, which is which I guess that would be average average speed for for a receiver. So how much different is it for a pro day for a receiver or any other position than it is with a quarterback? Cuz like you said, like Scouts are watching tape, but you improved from the combine to your pro day because you were training mm. specific, specifically for those drills. So right. obviously you're a Hall of Famer, so you weren't tricking anybody, but all the scouts <laughs> miss all the time, you know? So how, what? So everyone's freaking out about these quarterback pro days. And I think it does count for something, but I think it matters more for every other position except for the quarterback. Um, I think it's just, it's all about performance. And I think it, you know, obviously there's a lot of pressure on these guys to perform um, in front of scouts or what have you. You think about, obviously, they played in front of thousands of people you know, in the stands on, on Saturdays. But now this is an opportunity for them, for their livelihood, for obviously them to increase their bank account, increase their draft status or what have you. Um, but again, I think it's all about, you know, these guys being focused and being on track to do, to consistently do what they've been scouted to do. And so when you think about the quarterbacks, obviously, you know, there's a lot that plays uh, plays into that division that you played in, the competition that you've played against. Um, obviously, like I said, you're, they're stacking you against, uh, you know, guys that are in the National Football League already um, amongst your peers. Um, and then at the end of the day, for a quarterback, it's all about accuracy. Um, you know, what you're going to be, what, what are you going to do? Obviously, your routes on, that's routes on air. So it's imperative that if you can't throw – uh, or complete passes and with just routes on air, then what are you going to have? What, what are your, what is your stats? What are, what is your performance going to be like when you have guys coming after you? So I think that's what goes into the scouting process. And I don't know how much different it is from, you know, a quarterback versus a receiver, but, you know, as a receiver, you just want to go out there. You want to, you know, run crisp routes. You know, you want to show that you can transition in and out of the routes. You can run every route in the route tree. And the most important thing, obviously, is catching catching the football. So I don't, I'm not a scout by any means. So I don't know exactly uh, or specifically what they're looking for. But if I'm if I'm a, a receiver coach or you know playing a position, those are some of the things that I'm going to look look for uh, in the receivers. How how well he gets up the field. How how well he transitions in and out of the uh, out of his routes. Um, if he's taking a lot of steps. Um, and so for me, I was a long long gated. Uh, type of runner. I had to shorten my gait. Um, I had to understand and uh, uh, really kind of run how I run as far as my speed, how to get in and out of my routes based on, because I'm a long leg, I'm a, I was a tall receiver. So my routes are going to look, look a little different than a 5'9 or 5'11 type of guy. So those are some things that I would look for and some things I had to work on throughout the course of my career. How important is the interview <clears throat> in the draft process? Um, I, you know what? I, I don't know. Cause I don't know what really goes into like a lot of the questions. I, I over the years, I've heard like some of the, the wild question and, and the bizarre questions that I, they, that these guys are asking, uh, these kids. And so I, I don't really remember too much about the interview process. I mean, you kind of, it's just like question and answer type of things. I think when they start getting into personal stuff to try to, I guess, test the psyche and the mental uh, aptitude of guys, I think that's a bit much um if you will um but i think it, it should obviously be you know stick to obviously football related uh, uh questions but I, I don't know like i said i don't know what the 
the, the whole gist is or the whole method is behind some of the questioning or what have you. Like I said, if it doesn't pertain to football or what have you, then I don't think it should be asked. But um, I personally, I don't really recall much of, you know, any of the football questions that uh, that was asked of me. I mean, I played at a smaller school, so I don't think they're really going to be really asking me any tough or difficult questions. And I, I don't really feel like they asked me anything that I couldn't answer. But I mean, that's be that, obviously that would be something uh, great for a, a scout or somebody uh, to answer as far as, you know, the importance of questioning, you know, these kids. Of these, let's call it uh, the top five quarterbacks in the draft, Trevor mm -hmm. Lawrence, Mac Jones, Justin, Justin Fields, Fields, Trey Lance, Lance. Um, Zach Wilson, who okay. other than Trevor Lawrence, because we know he's going to go number one. Um, we know all of them aren't going to work. So if you had to pick, if you had to put your money on another one of them working, which one would you go with? Um, I've, I've seen bits and pieces of, of all those guys, except for maybe Trey Lance. Um, the Zach Wilson guy, he, he seems to have kind of that it factor um, with him, just the way he plays, um, plays free but under control. Um, he's very confident uh, with his throws or what have you. Uh, Justin Fields, he's he's he has all the skill sets uh, to to be uh, obviously a, a starter in in the in the National Football League. Um, it's a matter of just really, I think when you look at Justin Fields, I'm, I think people will show some similarities of, of him and maybe a Jalen Hurts. You know, maybe you have that they they have somewhat similar bodies, have this same type of skill set, but just need a little bit more enhancing on you know trajectory of ball throws, ball accuracy, things of that nature. Um, I think they, you know, people are starting to get beyond the stigma of just a black quarterback is just known for running. Um, I think this is something I think, you know, Justin Field and some of these uh, other black quarterbacks are really starting to defy some of that, uh, those, those odds. Um, the other guys, uh, again, like I said, you, know, you talk about Trevor Lawrence, obviously I think him playing the way he has the last couple of years has put him at the forefront uh, and on the on the top of the leaderboard or the charts of, of, of some of these organizations, but they all have promise. Um, but you never know until until they actually get into action. Look at what Justin Herbert Herbert is doing um, with the Chargers. I think everybody saw uh, the upside of him, but they didn't really expect him to do what he's done. And I think, like I said, it's all about opportunities. Um, that's what happened with me. I mean, I don't think anybody expected me to obviously come out of UT Chattanooga. And then 15 years later, you know, become a Hall of Famer. It's all about the opportunity that these guys are, are being given. And then these guys taking full advantage of the opportunities that they have. Now, obviously, you played at the highest level. So they're, they're rookies. They're going to get into camp. And even not right. rookies, like guys that were just signed from other teams or, or young guys that went undrafted. When did <laughs> you know somebody could play? Because you can't fool players. Like you can fool owners. You can fool scouts. You can sometimes even fool coaches because they just like fall in love with guys. But players know, like, no, 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 he can't, he can't bang. So who, who, what made you look at a guy and be like, yeah, he can play? Um, obviously, okay, you have the, the expectations. Uh, you have the projections in which guys are, are drafted. So obviously, the draft status kind of puts those guys on notice. So you know who's drafted in the first or second round. You know who's drafted, you know, top five. 10, 15 pick or what have you. Um, but once, once guys are in, in practice and you're starting to see them against competition, some of the guys, some of these guys, like I said, you know, coming from, coming from different conferences, you know, now everybody's on the same playing field. 
So like I said, I came from UT Chattanooga, but then I'm on the same field uh, as, as guys that went to Alabama, uh, North Carolina, you know, number one picks, number two picks, number 10, 20. And so once you start to see them against the competition, um, that's when you start to you see everybody's talent kind of weed out and see who's going to be at the forefront. Um, but you'll, you'll gradually see guys start to make, make plays and as they settle in and get comfortable. Because right away, sometimes you, you won't know because guys get jitters. You know, it's, it's, it's that nervous energy, um, which is to be expected. I mean, I had those. I mean, I had nervous jitters even playing in games later on in my career. That's just, that's just part of it. Um, but once I think guys settle down and understand, okay, this is, this is, this is pretty much a pool of the, the greatest athletes around the country. And, and now you have to really kind of weigh your talent against theirs and you just go out there and you just compete in your, wherever you're com uh, according to your position. But I mean, throughout the courses of the first couple of weeks um, and as people settle in, you start to realize, okay, okay, this is why he was drafted number one. And then there are those guys too. And you look at them like, what? You were, you were drafted, what, number two, number three, what? But, you know, as like I said, as guys settle in and, and really get familiar with or with their surroundings and really not overwhelm themselves with the whole process of, uh, you know, different plays, um, and that that comes into play too. When you overwhelm with the playbook, you're not going to be able to perform at your optimum level because you're having to process so much information. So once you get all that information downloaded, and then you know exactly what you need to do, then you're going to play a lot more freely uh, and your skill set will be able to flourish in, in, in the scouts and everybody will be able to see what you're being, how you were drafted and, and, and how you're able to play. Now, obviously you had a Hall of Fame career, so you, you, you I'm sure have no regrets, but was there anything that you wish you knew earlier in your career? Like when you mm -hmm. were a young guy in the league? Ah. Uh... As far as, uh, I guess, football, as far as, far as my sports football is concerned. But just like it, all of it. Yeah. Like being a pro, the experience on the field, like just something you were like, I would, I would always tell a young player to do this. If I had known this, I would have done this differently. Um, I, I, I'm glad you asked that question. I think, you know, the situation that I, I think I was, I got into obviously not really knowing how to really, I guess, process I guess, establishing an agent, what that whole process of, was about. Um, you know, I came from a, a single family household. I mean, my grandmother and my mom raised me. So I didn't know anything about finance. I didn't know anything about stocks and bonds. I didn't know anything about anything financial. And so obviously, like I said, I lost a, a lot of money due to negligence and, and uh, of, of, of my agent and my financial advisor. And so, of all the things I feel like I regret, I regret not being able to really be more involved because I truly trusted those guys to really have my best interest at heart. And that's what they, those, that's what those guys do. I mean, those agents and not all agents are bad. Let me just say that first and foremost. Um, but there are certain guys they take advantage of who they are, what they do, being becoming knowledgeable about, uh, knowledgeable uh, uh, about the agent business and how to how to gain a client, how to get some of these number one, these number two, number three, five picks in a draft by talking to the parents. And, you know, in the black community, most of these guys, they come from single family households and they don't have a mom and a dad in the household. You this is more so the moms. And so these agents know how to smooth and uh, smooth talk the moms to get, you know, obviously in the ear 
of the kids because as a, as a kid, especially a black kid that comes from, you know, obviously a, a low income type of environment, they're going to listen to their mom because that's who they've been lean, leaning on throughout their whole entire lives. And so these Asians know how to talk to the moms and then obviously get to, uh, to the kids. And so I think if, what I try to share now is just my, my pitfalls of, of what I've gone through, um, how to really uh, show them what to look out for and just tell them like, yo, you be, you're becoming a business, whether you know it or not, you become a business, not just a, not just a football player. And I know these agents, they look at us as athletes as just as that. And so sometimes they'll, they'll give you the whole smooth talk about, you know, everything that they're going to do for you, uh, take care of your family, this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, I think they have ulterior motives. And so that's what I try to do now, just share some of what I've gone through so these kids don't go through that too. So I tell these these moms or these dads that may ask me or these aunts or these uncles, or even they may go through some of my friends about, you know, if they have a kid that's going in the draft or, you know, they're looking to find an agent, what to look for, what to ask for. I tell them about my experiences. And, and that's something that I feel like um, that's needed today is some real transparency. Um, and there's a lot of vetting out they need to do with some of these agents. So, I mean, I had Drew Rosenhaus, um, that was my second agent that I had, uh, that I acquired. Um, and again, he referred me to a financial advisor and that financial advisor, also not only myself, but he took advantage and, and misappropriated a lot, lot of, a lot of funds for a number of guys. And so, um, I don't like the fact that these guys come out there and they put their face out there, like they're doing, you know, taking care, uh, looking out for the best interests of, of some of these athletes. And there are some things that they haven't disclosed. And I feel like there's a fiduciary duty um, that some of these agents need to, to, to have to, 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 to make these guys aware of some of the things that have happened. And I think a lot of things have been swept under the rug, has been hush-hush um, that needs to be out there and needs to be said. Well, you're definitely a businessman now and you have a wine, 81 Vino, which you mm -hmm. have there. Right, I right. would display it. Yeah. You know, but we hold it up. Okay. Now, which yeah, one is, I, first of all, tell me how you got into wine. Cause you weren't, not that you are, uh, have to be a partier to be into wine, um, right. but you didn't drink when you were playing, right? Right. Yeah. I very, I very seldom drink. I only drink like during, during the off season. I never right. drank during the season. Cause I knew, you know, obviously for me to perform well, I know alcohol dehydrates you and things of that nature, but I, overall, I wasn't a, a big drinker, um, but I was, I, I played in San Francisco right in the backyard of Napa Valley. Um, so obviously I was, uh, you know, I experienced it a little bit to a degree. Um, I really didn't like the bitter taste and dry taste of, of wines. Um, and, and that's obviously, I'm sure that's common with a lot of in the black community as well, especially like I, that was something we never, I never had any wine growing up. I never even saw my, my mom or my grandmother drink wine. Um, it was always hard alcohol. So over the last few years, um, I've tried to develop a palate, you know, for wine. And so this opportunity came about uh, through a family friend uh, from the Lasorda, uh, Tommy Lasorda family. And so uh, Lasorda family wines, they have their own brand. And so they basically was trying to obviously branch out and expand. And so I was on a list of, uh, uh, of uh, people that they wanted to possibly collaborate with. So obviously a mutual friend knew uh, my marketing guy. And so he reached out to me and asked me, you know, my experience in wine. And so I'm more of a, I'm on the sweeter side. I like the, I like the dessert wines. I like Rieslings. I like Moscato, mm -hmm. things of that, uh, <laughs> that nature. So he was like, no, nah, what about, you know, some of the Chardonnay, Merlots? And I'm like, uh, 
I said, I've tried them. I said, not really to my liking. I said, I just don't like the dry and the bitter taste of it. So he was like, yo, he said, let's just try this out. He said, they'll send you some wines. Um, you can give them some feedback. And then he's like, if you like it, cool. He said, we can go from there. So they sent me a couple of uh, bottles of wine. And so I start tasting, taste testing it. And again, the same experience. It was dry, it was bitter. So I gave them my feedback. They start asking me questions about like, what type of fruits that I liked, um, what, what I did and didn't like about wines that I've tried. So obviously, like I said, giving them that feedback, we came up with 81. So obviously this wine here is a cab blend and some of the, I guess the three main characteristics uh, of a, cab, uh, of a cabernet, cabernet is it's big, it's bold, and it's dry. You would think it's describing me, except for the, except for the, <laughs> except for the dry except part. For the dry part. Uh, so yeah, so I'm like, okay, I could really get into this. So uh, so yeah, so we we came up with uh, this right here, the tasting notes. It's a a ripe black cherry, um, and it's uh, made with the uh, cinnamon cinnamon stick aromas, uh, a dark chocolate, and a spicy toasted oak. Again, you would think that I'm describing myself, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not. It's I'm telling you, it's purely the wine. Uh, but yeah, so that's how we came up with 81. And so obviously I start to become more knowledgeable about it. And so to obviously to get rid of the the dry taste of it. So they added a 5%, it's 95% it's cab, 5% Syrah. So the Syrah softens it up a bit. And so the feedback that I've gotten from everybody that's tried it, except for you, uh, is that it's it's smooth and it's not as dry as one would expect. And so that's obviously obviously due to the feedback that I had given them. And so that's how we came up with this. And so it's doing well. Um, we're looking to do a 2018. This is a 2017 Cabernet. And so for people that don't know, um, wine has to be aged uh, in barrel for at least about 18 months. And so we already have a 2018 already barreled, um, trying to understand, not trying, but I've understood that, you know, different uh, barrelings from, from European oaks uh, to American oak, um, even some of the newer barrels is going to, the, the wine barrel and that's going to taste a bit different than some of these older barrels from, from, from over the years, uh, just gives it a bit uh, more of an oaky taste. And so this is, uh, this is, this has been the process over the last, probably during the pandemic to, 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 to be quite honest. And so that's what I've been doing. Just everybody's been trying to find different avenues to go down. And so obviously this is totally unexpected, um, but I'm enjoying the process and, and obviously God rest his soul. Um, Mr. Tommy Lasorda, before he passed, my operations manager, she basically told me that prior to them even, you know, considering me, he had given me the, you know, given them the blessing, you know, to obviously, you know, reach out and try to collaborate and, and partner. So unfortunately, the week that I was supposed to come out here to LA um, to do a photo shoot and meet him, he ended up passing. Um, so even just with that, just him being a Hall of Famer, uh, myself being a Hall of Famer, he's a Los Angeles uh, legend. Um, I thought it was a, a great partnership to to enter into, and so I'm enjoying it thus far. It's been it's, it's been it's been awesome. Well, you sound like an expert. You <laughs> no, sound yes. like you do. <laughs> I mean, I so I'm a big wine person, and like I love Napa. Um, okay. I love Santa Barbara. Like I I like wine. I I try to limit you know how much I drink during the week because right. you know kind of negates the workout. To your point. <laughs> 
Um, and sometimes I don't care, but right. no, I do love wine. And I like listening to the process of how different wines are made. And when you go right. to Napa or you go to wine tastings, they, they really give you an education on it, um, right. which is much deeper and more elaborate than some other things that you can drink, like vodka or, you know, right. gin. Like if you, so it's almost like, it's a special right. thing. Like tequila has that, scotch has that, and right. wine definitely has that. But you sound right. like an expert. No, but to your point, um, mine was made up in, um, uh, north of LA, about three hours in Paso Robles. It's Paso Robles or Paso Robles, whatever, whichever one it is. <laughs> um, it was, and it's, uh, our, ours is made at the same winery um, that uh, the Lasorda family wines is made um, at the Lavigne winery. Um, again, like I said, it's about a couple of, maybe a few hours uh, north of uh, LA. And as you said, I went through the whole process, tasting process. We tasted a different number of wines. So if you never know wine that. tasting, you got to spit or otherwise you'll be super drunk by the oh, end of yeah. it. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, after, cause I don't really drink. So after about a, a couple of, a couple <laughs> of glasses, I was already toasted and we had like so many, about a, a hundred other barrels that was in there. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can, I can go through this the whole entire day. So I kind of paced myself. And so again, he just, like I said, Terry Colton is the winemaker uh, for Lasorti family wines and my wine. So uh, again, he's obviously very instrumental in the tasting notes and how we came up uh, with the taste for, uh, for, for 81. Uh, but as now that we're trying to go into 2018, the next one will be 2018. Uh, we're trying to figure out whether we're going to do maybe a white wine, maybe a rosé, or we're going to continue on with the the cab uh, the cab blend that we have. But since it's doing so well, um, but again, like I said, just it's a lot of work that goes into it, um, just just strategic stuff as well. Um, again, my operations manager, Janice, she's done a great job as far as just every day, just kind of educating me on, you know, what we need to do if we go with a white wine, which white wine to go with, because, you know, profit, you know, all types of stuff. So I just, like I said, I'm just, I'm enamored at the fact that so many people have honestly supported me, um, just for obviously from who I, for, for who I am. And just the fact that I, I didn't, I, I guess I knew, but I didn't know that the wine community is huge. Like everybody drinks wine because I now that I, I just kind of just recap, like every time that I've gone out places, that's one of the main things that people order is like wine. You know, if they don't drink hard liquor, usually it's like, OK, would you like wine or what have you? They give you the wine list. Somebody's always ordering wine. And so I've, I've been very, very grateful uh, of the support. That's I got good. you. I got that's you. Me. Um, well, I think it's great. Uh, I love that you are involved in this and you're in the wine community now. It is. It's not exclusive. It's open to everybody. Right. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, it's awesome of that you're age. doing it. Of age. Yes. It's open to yes. everybody of age. Everyone 21 and over. Um, right. I don't age. actually, I, I did not start drinking. I started drinking before I was 21. I didn't drink though until my second semester of college because I ran track. So Oh, once, okay. once I kind of was like, eh, this, this isn't really going to work. I'm going I'm to start enjoying college. But I, but like you, I didn't really like wine because I liked sweet wine. So it was right. like Moscato or Riesling. And then right. like the more you drink, your palate kind of changes and you try different yeah. stuff. So now I drink a lot of Cabernet, Syrah, uh, Chardonnay. You know, I'll, I, I love rosé. I love rosé. Yeah. And I'll, I'll dabble in everything else. But those are those are usually the families that I stay in. But yeah, yeah you I, develop it over time. Yeah, and so with my wine, it's a, 
it's 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 sweeter of the cabs that are out there and that's relatively speaking uh for people that don't don't know it's not gonna like when i say sweet it's not like you're not gonna open this bottle and drink it and think it's gonna taste like grape juice or anything like that so relatively speaking as far as cabs are concerned just the tasting of it it's on the sweeter sides uh of, of some of the cabs because they have the drier ones which are they call it tannin tannin is more the drier uh, versions of, uh, of the consistency of, of some of the wine. So definitely not dry by any means, but that's, like I said, the feedback that I've gotten. Even people that, like I said, have just wanted to just buy it and just support me, they are very surprised that honestly how smooth it is and that it doesn't give you like that little, that little pasty taste <laughs> and it's like that in the back of your neck, that little sting or whatever, that little zing. But yeah, uh, I'm very, honestly, I'm very pleased and like I said, people ask me how my wine is. And like I said, of course, if, if you got your name on something, you're going to be biased. But honestly, I found myself liking and, and wanting to drink this when people come over and they want to try it. So um, like I said, not just being biased at all. It's, it's honestly, realistically, it's, it's, a, it's a good wine. Well, I'm going to try it. And you should too. It's called 81 Vino. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I know it was last minute. I appreciate it. Uh, no Hall of Famer, Terrell Owens, 81 Vino. Check it out. Um, stay safe. And thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. What's up, Heller? What am I winning or quitting today? What's up, Joy? Uh, before we dive right into it, I just wanted to say thank you for blessing my Twitter timeline with the Sunset Challenge. I threw one up behind me. Yeah, it was. I got to see tons of um, nice sunset from dudes trying to win your favor. Um, so that was. <laughs> uh, some ladies jumped in on it too. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't follow me on Twitter or you're not on Twitter, congratulations. If you are on Twitter and you don't follow me, what a loss. But, um, you know, as anytime I post a picture of myself, people ask me if I'm pregnant because apparently I don't have control over my own uterus. And so I was just kind of making a little joke uh, that instead of tweeting me about if I'm pregnant, which I promise. I promise if I am pregnant, I will tell you guys right after I tell my family, you Twitter world will be the second to know. Um, I mean, I would, I feel like I should be the first to know based on how Brandon and Michelle's announcement went down. I obviously, yeah. handled that. I handled that terribly, but I mean, exactly. I was first just, to know. You, you are, you were literally the first to know. You <laughs> uh, found out before the father. Um, yeah. You're basically Maury. You are uh, the father. <laughs> I love Joy. We're really deep into a sidebar now, but I, I love Maury. Yeah, a wonderful show. Um, amazing content. Anyway, long story short, uh, I asked people to stop asking about pregnant and send me sunset pictures instead. And, and they did. Uh, they did. Yes, they started sending me sunset pictures, and I had a nice timeline cleanser of really cool sunsets. And it actually kind of ended up being a cool thing because I got like a little tour of the world. Right. So did I, because you were reposting. So I got to check them out. Yeah. And who doesn't know the sunset? You gotta be right. dead inside. Right. Which apparently I am. Apparently I've sold my soul to the devil, which I haven't. I promise. But is that a little Nas X reference? Anyway, uh, you say that. Well, that place. that and I don't think that you know if you have if you get a vaccine and you carry your card around that you're carrying around the mark of the that was the beast, which you don't know what that is, but it's religious reference, and that's not what's happening here. 
I feel everyone should get a vaccine if it's available to them. That's There's a lot going on, on the internet that is really bad information. Right, um, and I'll, and UNT will cover at least some of it in Culture Report. So let's talk, yes. let's keep it r- roughly sporting right now. Okay. In the most maybe I'm crazy trade possible, unless Donnie's Lions somehow got thrown into the mix, me and T's Niners mortgaged our future to the Dolphins in exchange for the third overall pick this season. Miami traded with Philly to get back to six overall. The folks reading between the lines see this move as a clear commitment to Tua. Joy, the Dolphins won the trade with me, T, and T.O.'s 49ers. Win it or quit it. Well, I think we'll see who won the trade once we see what happens with these picks. But surfacely, yes, I think the Dolphins are in the best situation because they have a quarterback, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes. Wow. It seems like they're committing to him with this move. They have Um, an air quarterback? With their quarterback. Uh, They seem like they're committing to this move. Obviously, the 49ers had to give a, a lot to move up. Their whole future. The guy that they like at the quarterback position, because otherwise, why are you moving up to three? Kyle, Kyle, Kyle said there's three guys. So even if the first two, even if the two they want the most get taken, there's three guys they like. So, well, that's, I mean, hopefully he's not considering Trevor Lawrence in that conversation because that would be silliness. So everyone likes Trevor Lawrence. This is not going to be available, Kyle. So start after Trevor Lawrence. If that's the case, that's really good. I personally think that that's a lie. I think they like Justin Fields the most. And I think everybody is overanalyzing him right now. And it's just kind of silly. So I think Justin Fields is the one that's going to the Niners. So that said, um, if Justin Fields goes to the Niners, we assume Zach Wilson is going to the Jets, which we don't know, but we're assuming that Justin Fields or Zach Wilson is going to the Jets. So if it goes Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, then Trey Lance and Mac Jones are still on the board. Uh, I don't think that the Dolphins are interested in either of those two guys. However, however, if your Niners pull a fast one and take Trey Lance or take Mac Jones, which I don't think that they're done. No. I, I think the Trey Lance thing is possible. I don't think the Mac Jones thing is possible because you are known as pro day or whatever. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. Um, but Bill Belichick goes to all these pro days. He's not getting any of these quarterbacks. Nah, so um, I do think that the Mac Jones thing is a, is a uh, is a decoy. Hope so. Trey Lance, I think, is possible. So if they do go with Mac Jones or Trey Lance, and Justin Fields is available at number six because Atlanta doesn't take him, and uh, we know Cincinnati's going to take an offensive lineman, then I don't know what the Dolphins are going to do. Now, the Eagles have clearly shown that they are committed to Jalen Hurts for this year, at least, because they are going to have a bunch of first-round picks next year with this move. So if they do mm-hmm. need to get another quarterback, they can. I do think that's the right move for this year. I don't. I think it's silly to draft another quarterback. You just moved on from Wentz. Right. Now you have Jalen Hurts. You signed Joe Flacco as a little bit of an insurance policy for this year. See what yeah. you have in Jalen Hurts. If it doesn't work, use those draft picks to move up and get a guy next year. Mm-hmm. Um but in the meantime, yes, I think that San Francisco is in the position of they better get this right. And I think Miami is in the position of let's put some pieces around Tua. And if Justin Fields happens to fall for us, fall to us, then we can make that decision in that moment of what we want to do. Which maybe we move back one slot because Denver is at seven and Carolina is at eight. And both of those teams need a quarterback. So if Justin Fields is available, Miami may be able to move down a slot and get yep. more in the draft for those guys. Because I think Atlanta is really the key to the draft at this point. Because they could move. They're not going to take a quarterback we don't think. 
because you have Matt Ryan for another two years at a very, 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 very high number. Now, look, they might just want to eat that money, but I don't think Matt Ryan is actually that bad. So no. I, I think that they won't take a quarterback. They're kind of the key. If they end up moving, then that could determine things uh, very dramatically for the rest of the draft, because I don't think they're going to trade with Carolina in division to try and get, let them move up to get a quarterback, no matter what they offer them. Right. So it can be really interesting at number four, but if, Justin Fields ends up falling to number six. It's going to be even more interesting for the Dolphins at number six. Okay, so that's the Dolphins' perspective. From the Niners fan perspective, he bet not fall to number six because I don't want no Trey Lance or Mac Jones. I might may live to regret that when we draft them. But I, think, I like Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance has the body type project. to be a great, a great quarterback in the league, and he is very smart. And he's, he's had this scout on him, even with having a year away from the sport. So I, I like Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance is actually, I mean, I think Justin Fields is the more complete prospect right, right now. Right. I think and people I, are freaking out about, about Justin Fields, but if they take Trey Lance, I don't think it's a disaster because you're going to have Jimmy G for another year. So that's a year that Trey Lance can sit and develop. Right. I, I just think it might take a little bit longer than that. I think Justin Fields will even benefit from sitting a little bit, um, maybe like till the trade deadline or whatever. I mean, the, all of my friends are so excited about these moves, about us getting a quarterback. And I'm trying to be excited. I could be excited about uh, Justin Fields. I think the, the part that gives me pause, but I was listening to some Kyle Shanahan sound and he was able to talk me through it. So thank you for that, Kyle. Um, but he was saying that like, you know, Jimmy G knows the deal and he's not that thrilled about it, but in a perfect world, you have your next quarterback on the roster before your current quarterback, you know, all the wheels fall off. And Jimmy G has a great opportunity to take this opportunity and still go out there and ball and figure out where his next contract will be. And I, you know, as a Niners fan, I, you know, hearken back to glory days. And in the glory days, Bill Walsh had to basically lie to Steve Young to get him to come to the Niners. Then he like strung him along with like when Joe's back was hurt or, um, you know, something else was going on. Yeah, he's going to, we're going to. And, but for years, Steve Young had to sit and wait. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers. It didn't bring the whole franchise down when he was sitting behind Brett Favre. They worked it out. It was a, it was a little competitive. It was a little edgy, but that's fine. In football, that's fine. So I guess at this point, hopefully Justin Fields, we don't let him slide to Miami. And he gets he gets a year behind Jimmy and we we sort it out. But man, it's a lot to mortgage for a guy for some guys that we, you know, we don't know. We don't know what it's gonna be. We know that there's five of them that are at the top of the draft right now, and probably three of them aren't gonna work. So hopefully you end up with the one that does, other than Trevor Lawrence. And before before we go, last time quarterbacks went one, two, three, Joy was nineteen ninety-nine. Donovan, Donovan McNabb, Akili Smith, and uh, Tim Couch, not in that order. Donovan McNabb is the only one who made it out alive. So, yep. you know, hopefully hopefully the hit rate's a little better um, and or Jacksonville ruins Trevor Lawrence. Anyway, uh, let's, uh, let's parlay from some football to some hoops. So the Nets are winning the NBA arms race if arms equal offense. Uh, Brooklyn's latest addition is LaMarcus Aldridge, who's my personally my third favorite L.A., Los Angeles is first. LeVar Arrington is second. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Regardless, 
uh, of my feelings about Aldridge, with the addition of him and Blake Griffin, the Nets have 41 all-star selections on their roster. Joy, the Nets super team is better than the Lakers on paper. Quit it or quit it. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna quit it, but just barely. Like, because I'm okay. considering the fact that LeBron James is now dealing with an injury. Prior to LeBron dealing with an injury, I would say no, because LeBron, I'm just not in the camp of doubting him anymore, no matter who you put on that team. Got it. So full full squads. Everyone everyone's healthy right now. You got Lakers over Nets. No, I think like I think the talent level overall, full squads. You have to give the nod to the Nets. Like the Nets, it's I mean the, the number you just read is ridiculous. They have everyone, and they're greedy as hell. And I like it. And I, I'm I thought that the Lakers were in the market to get Lamarcus Aldridge. The Nets scooped him up or he wanted to go there, whatever it was. Yeah. But, you know, it's not like the Lakers came out of this empty handed. They got Andre Drummond, which I think was a nice signing for them. But what the Nets are doing is uh-huh. really remarkable. And it's all to try and take down LeBron. And as they should be. Like, I, everyone is kind of clowning the Nets situation. Like, oh, like, you need this much. Like, just take down one guy. Like, yeah, that's a compliment to LeBron that teams need to be that aggressive and go and go to those lengths and sign that many people to ensure they win a championship also it's a team game so if you have a better team generally you win that's that's how it goes like generally if you have the better all-around team you win now obviously stars can sway those situations because they can have monster uh series and or the other team can get hurt but then again that leads back to you don't have the better team in that moment the better team generally wins in the seven game series if you have the tournament, sometimes the better team doesn't win. But this isn't a tournament. That's not how the NBA goes. Tournament's so, been fun, though. Tournament's been awesome. But I just think that – I think what Brooklyn is doing is really a testament to where sports are overall right now. Like, we just finished talking about the Niners, the Dolphins, the Eagles being super aggressive. The Rams this offseason, super aggressive. The Bucks were really aggressive, restructuring everyone's contracts to bring everybody back aggressive is winning in sports like Mm -hmm. go out there go for your guy go all in mortgage your future whatever you want to call it because people are willing to make moves and eat money now and and you don't necessarily have to build a team one way anymore that's why i loved what the rams did a few years ago because everyone was freaking about out about how much money they spent it's like so what they made it to a super bowl what's your goofy team doing all those dudes are gone now anyway yeah they're all gone golf is gone mcveigh is still there they still have their culture um not all their dudes are gone like but the, but a lot of some of the key pieces are still there but like it didn't work as far as they didn't win a championship but they went to a super bowl like that's a success to me dolphins are playing in those super bowls most teams yeah. are not playing in any super bowls if you look over yeah. who has actually been to the super bowl in the last 20 years who was aggressive bucks in the super bowl who's aggressive chiefs in the super bowl rams in the super bowl we know the patriots are, are, are making moves all the time mm-hmm. they always have something Cut on throat. their sleeve yeah. yeah, so I like what the Nets are doing. Be aggressive. Go after the guys. Go all in on the on. The, you never know when people are going to be healthy, not healthy. Look at Katie and Kyrie this year. Look at AD and LeBron. Like, there's no better time than now to just go for it. Like, I understand you want to have young pieces that you can build on over the years, but if you want to be relevant, if you want to be in the conversation, and you want to be a contender, you got to be aggressive with guys who are available. And everything is so mobile now. So I like what the Nets are doing. I just thought of be aggressive, be aggressive. Is I that, that in, on the show. Is that in, um, what's that great cheerleading movie that I'm blanking on the name of? Bring it on. I, I'm not a cheerleader, but it was a cheer that they would do uh, on the sidelines. Be, 
aggressive be aggressive be aggressive be aggressive yeah what was the other one gms and organizations just need to say that into the mirror you ain't got no alibi you ugly you ugly um oh what about tick 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 boom dynamite boom boom dynamite yeah neither of us were cheerleaders but also neither of us played football uh um, I didn't count Steve uh, Steve Nash's All Stars, by the way, in that forty one. Uh, oh, coach, that's kind of you. Their coach, their coach, puts another like ten on there. So absurd. Hey, Donnie, what's going on in High Key Low Key this week? Hey, hey, all right, High Key. In the aftermath of the NBA trade deadline, the very injured Lakers signed ex Piston Andre Drummond after his contract was bought out by the Cavs. Low Key. Does the addition of Drummond secure LA's Western Conference Championship, or is this much ado about nothing? No, I think it's much ado about something. I think it's a really good addition for them. Um, they needed to do something because they have crazy injuries. Yeah. Um, with LeBron and AD being out for at least LeBron another four to five weeks, and Anthony Davis has no timeline, even though they've kind of advanced him to doing some on the court practice stuff but who knows so i'm glad that they made some move and uh during the season to improve their roster but the key to this team is not andre drummond the key to this team is lebron james and anthony davis getting back healthy so they is he a vet yes is he going to contribute yes but similar to the marcus aldridge and blake griffin these are these are role situations like yeah you, you need to focus on the core of your team they have a lot of role players they were playing excellence before anthony davis and lebron james got hurt so i do think it does help i do think people are kind of downplaying how good he, andre Drummond still is can he be your one guy no but nobody's asking him to do that only in the time being of course because lebron james and anthony davis are out but weirdly i actually think it will be helpful for him to get some playing time without them being in because everybody is getting a little more time trying to compensate for AD and LeBron not being out there. Yeah, I feel that. And he definitely right now helps them tread water some as opposed to sinking, which it felt like was kind of happening for a little bit there. Our high key in this offseason of quarterback movement, one name has been brought up throughout and it is Sam Darnold. It's been a lot of talk, but no movement. Low key, that could be because, according to several anonymous GMs, our favorite, Sam Darnold's trade value is looking like about that third-round pick range. Joy, is Darnold being undervalued? Oh, I love anonymous sources. <laughs> sauces. Anonymous sauces. Veil. Yes. Well, my girl Kimberly Martin reported this, uh, that several GMs told her that it was like a third round or a late third round or a conditional fourth round that people were really willing to give up for Sam Darnold. Now, yeah. I think that's a little dramatic. Like, I think Sam has shown enough that he's worth more than a third round pick, but the Jets could just end up being stingy right up into the draft and, you know, just just wait it out. Like, they, they don't have any need, really, unless somebody comes with a good deal to let go of Sam Darnold for less than they want. They have the second pick in the draft. They can take whoever they can take whatever quarterback they want after Trevor yeah. Lawrence. And then they can make a move with Sam whenever they want to. Like they're the ones in the in, in control here. So, while I do think third round pick is a, a little extreme for Sam Darnold, I would say a, a, a early or late second is more realistic. Um I think a first round pick is probably not going to happen at this point. Yeah. But because it doesn't really need to. But for a team, if you're like Washington, like what's what's a second round pick for Sam Darnold going to hurt you at this point? You don't have a quarterback. 
Yeah. So if you're a yeah. team that doesn't have a quarterback, even Carolina, like Carolina's at eight. What quarterback are you going to get at eight? Are you really going to spend that pick on Mac Jones? Like Justin Fields, Australians are not <laughs> going to be there at that point. Yeah. You know, so fact. unless you unless you are like scouting one of these other guys in the draft, uh, I don't really see how you can't make a move like this. So I think that the the Jets are just in the driver's seat. They can wait until up into the draft. And if they don't get a better deal, then they get them go for a third round pick and so what. Um, but I think Sam Donald's fate is going to be decided much closer to the draft unless somebody comes in with a really great offer. Agreed. I feel like it's just a matter of time. And uh, the closer the draft gets, the closer we'll get to some actual movement happening with Sam. Speaking of Mac Jones, high key, the NFL draft is right around the corner, as we just said, and Alabama's Mac Jones is steadily climbing up a lot of the draft boards. Low key, why? Well, well, uh, there's going to be several factors for this. One, I think everyone is overanalyzing Justin Fields. Right. Weirdly, Trey Lance's draft stock has risen, even though we haven't seen him play last year. And Justin Fields is is like being valued, like in some cases under Mac Jones. Like, look, you know how I feel about Alabama quarterbacks. I am not sold on Tua whatsoever. And I am certainly not sold on Mac Jones. Mac Jones doesn't even look like an NFL quarterback. Like he is unathletic. He's not super fast. He pretty much needs everything to be perfect in order to succeed. And I'm not saying that he hasn't succeeded at a high level. He obviously has, but nothing is going to be perfect in the NFL. I want a playmaker. Yeah. I want somebody who has had a little bit of animosity, not animosity, a little bit of, you know, trials in their mm-hmm. college career. And we've seen so much of Justin Fields. Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence have been like this for their entire college careers. And now all of a sudden, Justin Fields isn't as good as Mac Jones. Like, look, I don't root against anybody. All right. I just personally am not spending a high draft pick on Mac Jones. He probably will because people need quarterbacks and good for him. But I think it really depends on where he goes. Like, I don't even think if, if the Niners select him, which I don't think that they will, I think Justin Fields is going to the Niners and this is all just a big smoke screen. Yeah. I don't even know if he'll be able to be successful there. I just don't, I don't, I don't really like him as a prospect. And it's part of it is because he's an Alabama quarterback and there's never been a successful Alabama quarterback. Like it just is what it is. And Tua is long time. TBD and T yeah. and Tua was and Tua was special. Right. Yeah, he was different. Tua had something about him that was different. And mm-hmm. it still hasn't hundred percent translated to the NFL. Now, I know it's been not even one whole season, so maybe it will, but Mac Jones doesn't have anything about him that's special. And we know that out of these five quarterbacks, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance probably three of them aren't going to work or two of them are going to work and one is going to kind of work right yeah so for sure who are you going to put your money on isn't going to be successful the alabama guy every time like it's easy money <laughs> to me like yeah that's just how i look at this evaluation of him and i think people are going crazy over the pro days like it just simmer down it happens every year this He's is the best offensive the line in all of college football yeah Hi- highest men at receiver Another guy who's not too shabby at receiver. He's right, he was, he was exactly. good. Yeah. All right. High key, several key players throughout the tournament have been seen wearing hashtag not NCAA property t-shirts in an attempt not necessarily to be paid, but to be able to make money off of their likenesses and from some other opportunities. Low-key CBS and Turner have reported a 28-year spike in viewership during this year's Sweet 16. Joy, these college athletes are very, very undercompensated, period. 
Yeah. I mean, when does that, when does that, uh, like likeness thing kick in? Are they still working on that? Cause I thought we solved that, that they were able to make money off their likeness. They should absolutely be able to make money off their likeness. It's yeah. nonsense that they can't social media has changed everything. Nobody needs you. These kids come into college with a hundred thousand plus followers before they ever set foot on campus. Exactly. And this is, this is a big reason why college basketball, particularly on the men's side has taken the hit that it has over the past couple of years. Cause people only care about it during March madness. Imagine if, you know, guys were able to put themselves out there during the season and make money off of it. Now, look, I don't think that you can pay literally pay college basketball players to play basketball. Like there is, there are budgets involved here and there's also title nine involved. So you can't just, right. whatever you're going to pay the male athletes, as we have seen, it's hard mm-hmm. enough to get equal stuff, let alone equal <laughs> money hey, in the NCAA yeah. for men and women. So you, you don't have to pay everybody. Now, maybe you create a scale for like, you know, how much each individual team brings in and then you pay them off that. But like, I don't, I'm not necessarily for paying college athletes, but they absolutely should be able to make money off their own likeness whenever it is they want to. And they shouldn't be bound to these like school deals. Like if someone wants to, if Nike wants to sign somebody in college and pay them to wear their stuff and it's a, it's a, it's a Adidas school, like, all right, tough luck. Like these, we are not compensating them for their labor. I know the argument is school, but like what school, what, what actual studying have these kids been doing for 16 days in the bubble? I'm going like to go doing, and guess yeah, uh, zero like to their, maybe, maybe a couple, couple hours. <laughs> yeah. Of like guys, get out of my face with that. Like it's, it's honestly, it's honestly disrespectful. And I'm yeah. not saying that college athletes don't get the full college experience and education by the time that they graduate, but you're not getting the, the same experience that a regular student is. You can't, there's not enough time in the day. So, mm-hmm. so, and, and college tuition, like, give me a break for the costs for what they are bringing into your, to your school versus what you're compensating them for a college education is not even comparable. So, right. and, and I ran track in college. I was recruited as a soccer athlete and, and, and a track and field athlete. Both of my brothers played college football. I'm coming from a place of experience. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think they should be paid, but they should be able to make their own money however it is they want to when it is available to them. Hey T, what's going on in the culture report this week? Hey Joy. So. Okay, so Friday I was at my friend's house just catching up and Lil Nas X video Montero came on. I didn't realize it had just came out. And on side note, I like Nas X personality. I think he's very funny. I find him entertaining. I've never had an issue with him. But this video, I just wasn't a fan of it. As somebody who grew up in the church, which many people know, my dad's a pastor. I am very much religious. I don't do anything that deals with Satan or Satan worship. 666, nope, not, not, that's not for me. I don't play about Jesus. The video is just a hard no for me. I think even releasing the devil's shoe with a drop of blood, that's a whole other thing, which I don't even want to get into that. I just found it very just was very uncomfortable for me personally. Um, but as far as the children, which I've been hearing a lot of people talk about, um, this has been said many times on this podcast that raise your own kids because that argument never stands, which I'm in complete agreement with. But Joy, what did you think about the video? And don't you think it's ridiculous that people are trying to say that the kids are effect- going to be so affected and traumatized by this when they are exposed to so many worse things? Well, I think the video is actually a bit of satire. Like, I think he did it 
purposely to mess with everyone. Like, I don't think he is a Satan worshiper. Now I'm with you. I don't mess with Satan. Um, you know, I like Halloween and I dressed as a devil last year, which nobody seems to have a problem with. Um, but, you know, I grew up in church also. So, you know, I don't watch exorcism movies and, you know, I'm not interested in none of that stuff. But I do think that artistic expression can't and shouldn't be it shouldn't be censored, right? So there is a children's world and then there is an adult's world. We don't need to turn on every channel and see Paw Patrol, okay? There are levels to this shit. Can we watch Bridgerton? Can we have The Wire and the babies watch uh, The Wiggles? Like, I don't know what kids are watching these days, but whatever it is, Coco Lemon, whatever that, that, that uh, Coco Melon, what is that tell? I don't know. Anyway, the point is some programs and some material and some content is made for children. You don't still play with toys. You grew out of them and then you became an adult and then you do what adults do. There's a reason why there's an age limit on when you can drink and when you can buy a home and when you can rent a car. And there's there's ratings on different networks and this isn't for mature audiences and this is R-rated and this is PG-13. There's a reason for all that. There should be adult content and children's content because there are adults and there are children. And sometimes children are smart enough or have the ability to access adult content. That's life. We were watching BET Uncut, Nelly and Tip Drill riding a credit card through a, a, a young lady's uh, behind, all right? And we all turned up fucked up like everybody else. That's how it goes. You, th that's always been the case. There's been pornographic images available 200, 300 years ago. Like people get access to what they want to get access to when they're kids. That's just the way it is. So you can't say like, oh, everything needs to be censored for children. That's nonsense. There's adult content and children's content. Now I understand like someone religious being offended by it. And I actually don't care. Like if you're offended by the imagery, that's your prerogative, but just keep that same energy for everything. Which is why I tweeted the pictures of me in my costume last year. Cause I'm like, well, it can't really be like devil stuff. Cause I went as a little devil for Halloween and I was on the show for three hours and nobody was calling to cancel me. So obviously we know that part of this is because he's gay and that part makes you uncomfortable, which leads me to my next point. You don't have to watch everything. Everything is not for you. While there's things that are for kids and there are things for adults, there are also things that are not for you. You don't have to watch it. Just don't watch it. Problem solved. There's always gonna be things out there that offend you. There's always gonna be things that don't match your sensibilities. That doesn't mean that it shouldn't exist just because of that. Now there's things we can all agree on like racism and things that are, openly misogynistic or things that, you know, really actually harm people, but your religious sensibilities don't mean that nobody can talk about being a Buddhist anymore. Just because you believe if you're not a Christian that you're gonna go to hell, there's content for everybody and it doesn't have to be for you. I'm fine if you wanna be offended, but just keep the same energy for everything. One, nobody needs to raise your kids except for you. There's always gonna be adult content out there. Nobody needs to stop making adult content because you decided to have offspring. That's not how this works. I'm an auntie, uh, 10, about to be 11 times over, and a great auntie. I want them to be raised right. I don't want them to be exposed to things they should be exposed to. But in real life, that happens. That's how it goes. Because there's adult content and kids content. And content that isn't for you. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I totally understand like your, your side of it. Um, I think somebody like myself who is uh, religious, I'm I'm not some... Look, not Luna's ex sexuality never was an issue for me. I mean, like, like I, I, like I said, I found him funny. I found him entertaining. That that has nothing to do with me. Uh, I think just from personally, you're just, just offended because of the religious aspect of it. 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even, I would just, I'm just not a fan of it. I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and like be like tweet, like I haven't tweeted anything about it, I haven't reposted anything about it right. because it was it wasn't to my liking. I I vocalized that out loud to a friend of mine. We both agreed to, it, and then we moved on with our lives. I think I think what makes it worse is that when people start trying to just like just trying to put it out there and make and make interns like this bigger thing. Now, obviously the, the shoot thing, the drop of blood, that was a whole other level, which made it just even more weird. So then that's when I was just like, what is going on? But like you said, he's probably just doing it to troll people. So yeah, I mean. He is, but yeah. also, you know, I think it, to your point, like you can not like something, share your dislike for it and then move on yeah. with your move life. Move on, like, yeah. This, yeah, like this idea that he like needs to be canceled or something yeah. or like the the, the, the the universe is ending and morally we're falling apart as a society. Like come, DMX was out here in a full blood bath. Okay, Marilyn Manson was having sex and blood and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And we, we were we were told the world was ending when he was running around doing his thing. So it, there's always gonna be content that isn't to your liking, that is extreme. Right. And there's gonna be content that's not for you. And there's gonna be content that's not for kids. And that's just the way it is. Like you, you can voice your displeasure with it, but to be out here acting like the world is ending, like, mm, okay, we're in the middle of the whole pandemic. All right, <laughs> we have other things to worry about right now than Lil Nas X. Uh, we do. You know, but, but, but that's the world for us. Everybody feel like their opinion is the only opinion that matters and they want to force it onto everybody else, which doesn't work. It's like have an opinion, like it or not, and then move on. So that's, that's, yeah, that's what I Yeah, and do, I'm okay know? with people having other opinions. Like you can have your opinion about it, but when it's like, like, like now all of a sudden I sold my soul. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't like, think he sold his soul. I don't soul. think you can make that determination for me. Yeah. Like just because I can deduce and make like a reasonable uh assessment of this content and you're like you know in prayer groups praying over those shoes which well, you could do what you want to do but like don't be out here acting like anyone who who agrees with this has like sold their soul like you're doing right, entirely yeah. too much you're doing <laughs> too much you're doing yeah. too much you're not worried about saving souls now you're like living on this like it, it, like inconsistent moral plane that I just can't get down with. You can have an opinion and so can I. Yeah, but I never, that didn't even cross my mind. He sold his soul. I'm like, I didn't even think that far. <laughs> just, yeah, you never really know what the intent is behind what people do, so who knows. Right. Um, another note, uh, NAACP Image Awards was on Sunday um, and it's definitely one of those award shows that I look forward to. Um, kudos to all the winners. Of course, Chadwick Boseman won, which I wasn't surprised about that. Um, I did recently get into uh, Bridgerton and I saw that uh, Reggae Jean won. So I was excited about that because I think he's super talented and um, very handsome, I might add. Uh, Viola Davis won. You are very <laughs> talented. <laughs> no, he is. He's, he's, he's so talented. I should have led with the handsome because obviously that's. It doesn't hurt that he's very handsome. Yeah. Yes. Nice smile, T. Yes, but we shouldn't have Bridgerton because the children, T. The children. The children. The children might watch Bridgerton and see uh, Renee Jean's ass. What are we going to do then? Oh, the world will have to just end, obviously. It's the end of the world. No, no man booty. No man booty. Hell, <laughs> it was so much man butt in that show. I love Girl, it. Yes. Um, such a good show. Lily, just a side note, I did binge that in, in a day, literally. So you have a problem, T. I do. Have problem. But I, I'm fully aware. Fully aware. <laughs> <laughs> T, you so. can only watch an entire show in two days' time, like that, that you're supposed to watch over like months. 
it, but I blame people because I keep telling people, stop telling me about shows and people will continue to like tell me. And it's like, I blame other a people. A day is crazy though. They're hour long episodes. That means you spent eight hours in front of the TV feed? I, I, I'll stay up. I stay up until like three o'clock watching it just because <laughs> I had to finish. It was ridiculous. Uh, it's a great show though. It, it is. is. It is. It's Summer Shonda's um, best work. Yeah, no, I, I, when I saw him, I was like, oh, I mean, let me, let me just give it a shot. But yeah, I didn't even realize that it was gonna be that good. I had no idea. And everybody's like talking about it. So definitely one of my favorites. Yes. And shout out to D nice, D nice one. I think entertainer of the year. Yes, he did. And then, um, Tabitha Brown, she's definitely one of my favorites on Instagram. Um, she won like outstanding social media personality and I just love her and her cooking. So I feel like she's definitely enhanced my cooking skills. Yes. And Kev on stage won, uh, so, but like best social media personality. He is hilarious. Yes. yes. So congrats to all the winners. I know. Congrats. So yeah, I definitely, I love, I was there last at the NAACP Image Awards. So I was like, man, it would have been so nice to be there in person. Uh, but Hopefully it was- soon. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us this week, guys. Make sure you subscribe, follow us on social media at Maybe I'm Crazy Pod, enjoy Taylor Talks. And you can listen to the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartMedia app and Apple Podcasts. Stay safe and we'll catch you next week. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. Oh.